What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of the 50 Plus One Football Show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and with me is a man who, if it wasn't bad enough for him that Bayern lost on Saturday, his misery was compounded on Sunday as his beloved San Francisco 49ers lost another Super Bowl. It's Lewis. Uh, I, I mean... It's 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 basically like Chandler when he hears uh, Janice in the new house in Westchester. At this point, I'm just like, sure, because because I'm gonna give a little bit away. We obviously will be talking a little bit in the Premier League, but before we get to that, of course, Stanisic had to score on loan against Bayern. Of course, sure, sure, but. Like I said, we do have a couple of Premier League topics to be going through, and one of them is the West Ham v Arsenal game, and that is mainly due to the fact that at halftime, fans are already exiting London Stadium, and we'll also have a little discussion, have you guys ever left a stadium or a match early? Then we will move over to the game in London, which was notably Crystal Palace v Chelsea, but it was made notable because one former player celebrated not once, but twice against his former side. Then we'll move over to the Bundesliga, where basically the whole weekend was just overshadowed by the big, almost title-deciding match, Bayern v Leverkusen. And then we'll also finish up with a little bit of juicy transfer news, but it's not a player transfer. It's a managerial change at Mainz. All that and more right after this. Now, you said it in the intro. We're going to have a look at West Ham Arsenal. West Ham hit for six by Arsenal. A little bit of a mixture of awful defending from set pieces from West Ham particularly the uh, the Gabriel goal from the free kick. They all just stood still like statues. Yeah, There's <laughs> also some good play from, from Arsenal as well, so credit where it's due. Obviously, Declan Rice scores against his former side and doesn't celebrate, which ties in very nicely to a later topic that we'll get to. But the big thing, well, a couple of big things, it puts some level on points and level on goal difference with Manchester City. That's big. I'm, I'm just saying the level on points, not so much because obviously City have that game in hand. But the level on goal difference, especially when you have a goal machine like Haaland up top. Yes, I know he's been injured, but that's still big. But also, and what we're going to talk about more is the fans leaving the London Stadium around halftime, before halftime in their tens of thousands heading back to Stratford Tube Station. I mean, if, if you're 4-0 down at halftime to a to a London rival, it's, it's it's a London derby. Let's, you know, let's not forget that. Yeah, but it's one of the smaller ones. It's not, I mean, I I know it's not West Ham Millwall or something like that, but, you know, it's it's still, okay, fine. I'll give it to you. It's a London derby, but still, I mean, it's not like it's, not like it's Arsenal v Spurs, is it? No, but famously, West Ham don't like anybody else. Well, so, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so to leave the stadium at halftime, something has to have been drastic. And obviously, you're 4-0 down and you've had no... Well, there's been no positive at all to take from that first half at all. <laughs> not really, bro. Not really. <laughs> you know, you, 
would you pack it in and, and go for a Nando's in Westfields in Stratford? Or would you, almost out of stubbornness or like pig-headedness as well, say, no, I've, I've paid for this ticket, I'm here to watch my team and I'll watch them play regardless of the result. Because, there, you know, obviously there are conflicting things. So there's people who say you should never leave a football game early. You never know what's going to happen. A 4-0 down at halftime, I think it's pretty safe to say you're not making a comeback. Although, the last time Arsenal were 4-0 up away from home in the Premier League, they drew that game 4-0. It was that game at St. James's Park against Newcastle where Czech Teote scored that volley from like 30 yards or something like that. So it has happened and it does happen. By the way, the Via Derby, Dortmund up 4-0. Schalke come back to make it 4-all. Just saying. So these things do happen. It's not the strangest thing in, in football, but you can understand why. And the question I wanted to ask you, Lewis, have you ever left a football game early? And if so, under what circumstances? Like, what was the score? What was the performance like? I mean, this might just be a little bit of a flex, but the only reason I've ever left a football match early is because I was working and had to leave the press box early to go down to the pitch. So, <laughs> okay. it's probably not a fair question to ask. The industry <laughs> I was about to say, you're asking. I could fire it right, fire right back at you, but let's for sake. Of oh, I've, I've definitely got one. Well, for for sake of for sake of argument, Billy. In a non-work-related capacity, have you ever left the game early that you bought and paid a ticket for? I wanted to flex my Wembley press box experience, but okay. Oh, no, I'm completely... Oh, it's fine, no. it's fine. <laughs> uh, I have. Ooh, I actually have. It was... Scandal. Yes, it was. It was a Saints game. Right, okay, yeah, caveat. A little, you know, footnote, I'm not a fan of Southampton. Exactly. But I, I go and I watch them with, you know, mates and that. Fair enough, yeah. But it was so bad. I think they were like 3-0 down or something at half time, just getting battered. This was like four or five years ago. And it was like, it wasn't half time. It was like 70 minutes. It's like, yeah, okay, I need to get the train back. And I don't particularly fancy waiting and walking with 30,000 disgruntled <laughs> Southampton fans. So let's just let's just go for the benefit of everyone. Fair enough. I mean, I'm going to, you know, not the the unflexed version of my answer to your question is no, I've never actually left a game early. And that's for me, it's just one of the one of the things that I say there's so many people in who would love to be in your position, who would kill to be in your position, having a ticket, watching any football match live for that matter. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I've never, it's not that I've only ever been to Bayern matches. Like I've had, you know, I've been to, I've been to Chelsea football games um, more often than once, uh, you know, seen England v US uh, in Wembley stadium. It's, it's not like I've never been to a game that wasn't my club. But for me, it was always a thing of I would, you know, as a, as a fan, I would love to just drink in the atmosphere no matter what kind of game it was, no matter how, well, let's say shitty the atmosphere it is, because let's be real, friendly games uh, on international breaks are not, you know, home to the craziest of fan noises. But uh, it's 
for me, it's still, you know, you're live at a game. You've, you know, for one, you've paid the money for it, but it's not about the money. It's just about the fact that I'm, you know, I'm always just love going to live sports events. And like I said, so many people would kill to be in your position. I just, I can never bring myself to, to leave any earlier than I have to. I, I do get that. It's a little bit different at St. Mary's. They couldn't fill that stadium for, for Toffee at the time. At the time, they're doing, they're doing well now under Russell Martin at the time. But I, I, the, to play devil's advocate. Why don't we just name you this on the podcast? Because that's that's what you are here for. <laughs> I, I'm half tempted to make a little jingle for it, but uh, to be my. to be the the devil's advocate of the show. Yes, yes. You've paid your own money for that ticket. You're perfectly what? entitled to leave when you wish. Okay, sure. I get I get the argument that there are some people that may not be able to be there and would love to be in that position, whether it's home or away. You know, you see fa- fans leaving away games early, and you get the you've had your day out. A fuck off, home. Which is a personal <laughs> favorite. But yeah, I think you're perfectly if, if the performance isn't great, if you're if it's cold, if it's raining or something like that, or if it's just not an enjoyable experience, you're entitled to go early and sit in a pub or something or get the train. On the other hand, it's those moments where you feel like you want to leave early that make the good moments in football so much better. Yeah, I think for me, it's at the end of the day, if we're looking at just, you know, games where, you know, I get to watch my club and be in the Alianza Arena or just be able to watch my club even away. It doesn't matter if if Bayern, if I were in the stadium when Bayern were down 5-1 to Frankfurt, I would still stay. Probably boo them a little bit, but I would still stay to the very bitter end because that's you know that you're a football fan for a reason so for me it's it's just one of those things where i would say you know you're a fan and if you if you really want to call yourself a diehard fan you stick with your club in the worst of times so that you can be there and really savor the moments when you're there for the for the best of times and for me that's just one of those things you know i get there are definitely people who will who will you know be that casual fan who just you know buy a ticket because they got the money to do so for one thing and then they uh they have the time um and the means and they can just go to a game and say be like yeah okay fine I'll, you know I'll, I'll have a i'll have a look at it and then that's still where where it it really gets me you know, right, you know, almost in the field, so to speak, as a fan, is when I'm sitting in front of the TV and then I see so many people who are leaving and be like, you know what? If I were there, I would be sick, like I would be stuck to my seat up until the final whistle and then some. And for me, that that is the main thing. It's not, you know, yeah, okay, you can you can always want uh to beat traffic or whatever, but if that's the reason, then you might as well just not go stick out the full 90 no matter what you do yeah i i get that sometimes it's say that again devil's advocate but if you're taking young kids or something or or whatever and it's an evening kickoff and it's you have to get home for a reasonable 
you made your bed. You, you yeah, ex you made your bed by taking them, so you have to lie in it when they don't want to get up for school the next day. Exactly. Bring, bringing this back to West Ham, though. Yeah. Who? There's now a lot of chant for David Moyes to get the sack or for him to not be kept on at the end of the season. There was a report in the in the Times that they'd stalled on a contract extension until 2026. So only another two years. But, okay, and here's, here's the thing. The football can be bad. Okay, it was bad under Louis van Gaal at United. It was, it was, you know, library football. Football for an insomniac. But United won an FA Cup under Louis van Gaal. They can complain about the football at West Ham under David Moyes all they want and all they like. But they won a European trophy. I know it was the Conference League, and I know it's a new thing, and it's it's yeah, essentially like a a B Tech version of an already B Tech <laughs> Europa League. League. Yeah, it's a B Tech Europa League's already the B Tech version of the Champions League, and then you've got the B Tech version of the Europa League. So it's yeah, I I mean, it, I, it gives it gives yeah. clubs like West Ham who would never have a chance of winning a Champions League in the current state. Probably yeah. not even a, a chance at a, a Europa League. Yeah. But it gives them a chance to have that European glory. And, you know, we, we went to uni with a, a West Ham season ticket holder, and you see some of his stories from when he went away during that European run. Yeah. And yeah. it's fantastic. And that they will always have that. What I want to know is, is it a point now? Because they're level on points for Newcastle, who everyone in the media seems to cream their pants over. I mean, Newcastle are seventh, by the way. You know, <laughs> you know, West Ham are level on points with Newcastle. Newcastle, the state-owned new supposed English footballing powerhouse, level on points <laughs> with poor West Ham, who have David Moyes as the manager. For me, if you. I obviously I'm not one who's going to sit here and say I watch West Ham week in week out because I don't. I'm fully admitting to this. So I couldn't tell you exactly, you know, the type of football being played. Yes, a 6-0 defeat is going to sting like hell, and I think every fan has been on the receiving end at some point of one of those. It's not fun, and of course you're pissed off, and of course you're going to be reactionary. But at the end of the day, you have to also accept that one Arsenal, as much as you know, I don't want to feed into the Arsenal fan bases, you know, just complete delusional, some at times viewpoint of their team. Arsenal are still, at the end of the day, a very good club who are playing an insanely lucrative style of football. And just to make it clear to anyone who hasn't had a look at the table or hasn't been listening the last 10 minutes, Arsenal are level on points with Pep Guardiola's Manchester City. And they're also level on goal difference. So you have to just accept as a West Ham fan that Arsenal just had the way better day. West Ham had an absolutely shit day. But that's the end, the long and short of it. If you're going to ask for Moyes to be sacked now, I really don't think that that that's in any form or fashion the right way to go because like you said they're level on points with newcastle the state owned newcastle you know it, it's 
it's just too reactionary for my taste at the end of the day. I, I don't know. You probably are able to maybe see this from a different viewpoint because you've obviously had, you know, times in the last decade with Manchester United where you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, we're level on points maybe with, you know, fourth place uh, Arsenal or whatever, but the style of football you've been playing is crap. You know, like you said with Louis van Gaal, I don't know. Would you say it's the same thing as, you know, the Van Hal argument? Or do you think, like me, it's too, it'd be too reactionary right now to ask for Moyes with the sack? It's probably reactionary to ask for him to be sacked after one 6-0 loss. Because, yeah, okay, look, they lost 3-0 away at Old Trafford, but they had their opportunities in that game. They had the chances in that game. You know, Emerson was one-on-one and he blazed over the bar. Uh, Diogo Dallo made a fantastic last-ditch block to stop Jared Bowen you know, goal-saving block to stop Jared Bowen. Yeah, yeah. But they, they played well and they had their chances. This was this was just a, a drop in the ocean. This was this was the, the outlier. You know, David Moyes came in after Manuel Pellegrini and kept them up. He saved them. Yeah, exactly. You know, they've finished relatively well. Let's, let's be honest, for a club like West Ham, they might think they deserve more, but for the, the players that they've got at their disposal and and stuff like that at the moment, where David Moyes is finished is good. Probably time for him to move on at the really? end of the season. I wouldn't sack him now because who could you possibly get in midway through a season that would be good enough, that would be an improvement? Because anyone out of work at the moment... Is out of work for a reason, yeah. He's <laughs> out of work for a reason. So, so you would, But you would say that it is time at the end of this season Moyes, you've had a great run with West Ham. Give the reins to someone else. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Wow! If they have ambitions of improving further, David Moyes has left them with a good foundation. But similar to the way I see it going with Newcastle and Eddie Howe, there there has now come a point where he's done all he can do. It hasn't quite reached that bit with Eddie Howe yet, but there will come a point where they're regularly in the Champions League or regularly challenging for things. Yeah. And the owners are going to turn around and go, well, okay, we want a manager that fits the elite status that we want for this football club. And Eddie Howe is a fantastic manager. But I don't think he'd be the one that they look at and go, you. I mean, fair enough. So given the current state of West Ham, you know, excluding obviously the outlier that is that 6-0 loss, any suggestions for who to replace David Moyes? Should he go? And follow-up question, contract extension, do you think is going to come his way? And if it does, should Moyes reject it and say you guys should find a new manager? Or do you think Moyes will only leave if he's forced to? I, I think if they offered one, he'd take it because even if he does get sacked by Christmas next season, he's then got a year and a half's worth of, of pay coming. So he'd, he'd be an idiot not to take it. But okay, I, but I, see, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. This is, this is, this is excluding, you know, the money hungry side of the human, of human nature. Think about the footballing side. Do you think Moyes has 
I mean, I, I don't want to say enough love of the game, but it's almost to, you know, have that football purist view that managers should know when it's their time to go. I think he'll probably walk away at the end of this season. Yeah. And if you wanted a name to be thrown about for who could possibly take over, I think obviously you've got Steve Cooper that's available. Yeah. The only worry is with how badly it ended at Forest. Russell Martin, of course, is another example that's done fantastically well with Southampton, but would they let him go? Say they get promoted through the playoffs or through automatic promotion. There's no way they're going to let him go. No. I think a, a genuine contender, probably, even if they don't get promoted, could be Kieran McKenna from Ipswich. But I don't, I don't know if that's that's even possible. Obviously, West Ham's new minority owner probably has some ideas of himself further afield, foreign leagues and things like that. The Sporting Lisbon manager, yeah, yeah, he's always been linked with a job in the top five leagues of of Europe. So it, it's it's one to keep an eye on come the end of the season. But we'll move on from West Ham. But do let us know on Twitter and on Instagram if you've ever left a football match early, even at halftime, and let us know the circumstances as to why. But now let's talk about celebrating against former teams because last night at Selhurst Park, it finished Crystal Palace 1. Fantastic goal from Jefferson Lerma's first for Crystal Palace. Chelsea 3. Conor Gallagher scored twice for Chelsea last night. Of course, he was on loan at Palace in the 2021 22 season celebrated both goals contrary to another Chelsea player Levi Colwell who scored against Brighton earlier in the season started to celebrate and then immediately did the hands up no I just remembered who it was against question for you then because it ties in with Josip Stanisic as well say you played against a former side and scored the winning goal regardless of the situation in that are you celebrating, yes or no? Uh, put it this way. If I really want to be respectful, then then you would have to just answer no to that. I think it's... Obviously, it's going to be harder to put make it, you know, black and white, as in make it yes or no, are you celebrating? Because I think there are definitely some cases where it's like, yeah, okay, it was a lone spell. Um, didn't really have the best time of it or you know didn't have especially fond memories i think if you want to save yourself some media bashing or some social media bashing if you will you don't celebrate it because you know even if you did have like if you you know you had the worst time on loan there or whatever i think still some fans would be like oh you shouldn't be celebrating against you know a former side that you you played for so I think if you if you want to be diplomatic about it, you don't celebrate. You know, in relation to Conor Gallagher, celebrating, not celebrating, at the end of the day, he was on loan there. It's not like he was a youth product of Crystal Palace where he spent his entire, you know, youth youth career at that club and then made the move to Chelsea and then celebrated. He was there on loan for like a year. Big deal. I'm sorry, Crystal Palace fans. That's just my personal opinion. Don't get too worked up about it. Levi Colwell, 
sure, maybe he had fond memories of Brighton. Maybe maybe that's why he didn't do it. Maybe he had built up a relationship with the fans. You don't know. But I think, you know, to delve in too deep about the celebrating, unless, you know, unless it's really a club that you've formerly played for, you know, like full on, I think that's a little bit much. Okay. A couple of examples then. Cole Palmer scored a penalty against Man City to make it 4 all. Of course, a, a youth prospect from Man City. Exactly. Point did number one. Did the celebration. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I forgot. <laughs> did the uh, did the, the ice cold celebration. Well, obviously, he didn't think that he was given the proper chance at City then, did he? Ooh. Romelu Lukaku. Oh, but he's been everywhere. If he doesn't, he might as well then stop celebrating if he if he if he goes that down that road because he's been to every single imaginary you know top Syria side. But his spell at Everton made him into the top striker. He signs for Manchester United, scores against Everton at Old Trafford, runs around. They they sort of like Whoa. he took he took a free kick. They sort of like weighed him. Ball gets recycled back in and he scores. He runs away, tapping the badge, which I think is just an extra dagger into the heart of an Everton <laughs> fan. But the, oh, the thing man. is, there's very little loyalty in football these days. You're never going to have a Francesco Totti who spends his entire career at Roma. You're never going to get a Jamie Carragher who spends his entire career at Liverpool, a Ryan Giggs or Gary Neville that spend their entire careers at Manchester United. You know, there's very little loyalty in football these days. And I think it's a it's almost like a short-sighted thing from fans to expect that, oh, yeah, but they used to play for this club. Of course, they have the same love for it that I do. Yeah, yeah. I think that that pretty much hits the nail right on the head because if you expect, you know, just because you love the club that much, you expect the player to have loved the club, you know, the same amount, you're just going to be disappointed. Unless you have like a Thomas Müller, you know, like it's, it, it's just, it's not going to happen. So I think, you know, that pretty much sums it up. Don't I, expect the same love that you have for the club from said player. Exactly. That pretty much sums it up. So I think that's a good place to leave the Premier League. Oh, no. I have to, uh, uh. <laughs> yes, my man, we do have to unpack this because I'm I'm going I have to just mentally prepare myself for this for this whole segment because we are going to be spending almost the entirety of this Bundesliga segment talking about the, you know, so-called top match of not just the match day but probably the season. I'm just going to ask you Billy, how much money would you have bet on Leverkusen one winning, two winning, three nil. Because I wouldn't have seen it as a preposterous bet to bet on Leverkusen to win, but three nil and in the fashion which they did. Would you have thought that possible before this match day? I wouldn't have put my house on them winning, maybe a bedroom or two. Definitely wouldn't have put money on them winning three nil. I thought there surely would have been a reply. I think that pretty much sums it up. There was zero reply coming from Bayern. When you saw the, the team 
put out before the game. Did you have like a red flag going off when you saw the Bayon lineup? Or were you like, okay, let's see what happens? Well, it was an interesting one. We'll put it that way. It was an interesting one, in my opinion, to leave out one particular player for Bayern. That was to leave Matisse de Ligt on the bench for the entire 90-minute match. In over Eric Dyer. Thomas Tuchel opted for Eric Dyer. I, I I'm I'm sorry. I've hit rant mode. I've hit rant mode. It's oh, mm. it's okay. Mm. Okay, calm calm down. Calm mm. down. Breathe. Delicht. Ooh, seventy sorry. million. Seventy million. You've put you've put down for him. He was your best center back last season, and for the life of me, remember we've we've been through this right. Multiple times we asked ourselves, how is it that Upamecano and Kim Min Jae are getting in over De Ligt after the season that De Ligt had for Bayern last season? He was the most consistent center back. He was probably the best center back in the league last season. And this was, you know, bear in mind, he had some, some, some struggles at the beginning when he first moved to Bayern because he was still, you know, finding his way around the league, around the team, and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, for, for instance, that goal line clearance in the Champions League against PSG. Exactly. You know, just standing ovation for that. I cannot, I, you will not be able to convince me that within the two or three weeks that a professional has a break in the summer, he drops off so much that the mistake-prone Upamecano is a better option, and the newly transferred Kim Min Jae is also a better option. You will not be able to convince me that he somehow had a drop off that bad. Inexplicable for me why he's being left out of that team, especially when just just think about how Upamecano had a freaking horn hamstring three weeks ago. This was post-Christmas break that Upamecano tore his hamstring, and he was rushed back. Kim and Jay has been at the Asian Cup for the better part of the last month, and even had to sit out the semifinal, didn't play because of some injury as well. And now he's being rushed back. So please, make it make sense, Billy. Why is Delicht getting dropped when he was also not just not just solid but very good over the last month? Obviously, there are things we don't see and we don't know, but Definitely. I'm sticking I'm sticking with my opinion here that I gave when Tuchel was appointed as Bayern manager. Yeah, it was a wrong decision, and it was a short-sighted decision from your board, from the Bayern board, to get rid of Julian Nagelsmann. And there's a fantastic picture of him in the stands watching, oh. laughing when Bayern are 3-0 down. Another player selection I take slight umbrage with, in the biggest game of their domestic season, he opts for Alexander Palovic over Joshua Kimmich. Yeah. I, I, that I, midfield pairing of Goretzka and Kimmich is tried and tested and it works. I understand his almost fetish-like obsession with wanting a new number six. 
Pavlovich isn't that. Goretzka certainly isn't. Joshua Kimmich is a defensive midfielder by trade. If you want somebody else to play in defensive midfield, whack Eric Dyer in there and play Matisse Delict in the middle of that back three. Or, here's an idea, don't alter your tactics for one game in a season. Stick to what you've done because it works. You don't have to mirror the tactics of Xabi Alonso's by Leverkusen side because they work on that formation and they work on those tactics week in, week out and have done since he took over. Not the week leading to a game, which is, I'd wager, probably quite difficult to completely change an attacking and defensive was, system. Oh, he's preaching in a, to the choir, Barry. It's, because it, it's the exact same thing. We have multiple instances where tactics or changing the tactics that have worked for you Given Bayern haven't been playing the best season, but they have had a back four that has worked for them for the better part of a whole season. Why are you changing the tactic? Look at Pep Guardiola changing his tactics ahead of the Champions League final against Chelsea. Look at Carlo Ancelotti cha changing the tactics ahead of the group stage match that Bayern got battered in 2017 uh, against PSG. And that ultimately led to his sacking. Look at Pep Guardiola changing the tactics ahead of the Champions League semi-final clash with Real Madrid, where Bayern went down 4-0 at home in their biggest European defeat ever in front of their own fans because he changed the tactics. Julian Nagelsmann even changed the tactics ahead of the Leverkusen game almost exactly a year ago, and that led to his sacking. What needs to get through managers' heads in this day and age that ahead of the biggest game of the season, you do not go with something new. You go with what the team has known and what the team has done for the better part of a season. If you look at the way the team played, they were completely unsure of themselves. They had no confidence because obviously you've been playing with this tactic for maybe four or five days. Viva Kuzna, as you've said, have been doing it for a whole season and they've been doing it pretty freaking well. Don't get me wrong. Leverkusen were by far the better team. They played amazing football. I don't know when the last the last time was that I've seen a team play football that beautifully, and it wasn't Bayern in the Bundesliga. Big praise. Big praise indeed. Now, Xabi Alonso got everything right about that match. And Leverkusen looked unified on and off the pitch. This is where, and we'll get back to the game in a second, but this is where I feel, and this is why I feel, him taking the Bayern job would be horrendous for him. Because that team aren't a team anymore. Which must be very hard for you to watch as a, as a fan. Oh, yeah. But they are not the almost like die-for-each-other team that they were when they had... Uh, you know, obviously Neuer and Muller are still there, but when you had uh, the likes of even Mats Hummels or Robin, Ribery, Schweinsteiger, Lewandowski, and I'll be honest with you, Mario Mandzukic. Exactly, you had you had a team like that during their treble winning season, 2020, 2021, if you want to, you know, because of COVID and all that, which means you've had it. And you still have a good few players from that team in the squad today. 
you know, if we're being honest, Kimmich, Goretzka, Davies, Gnabry, Coman, Müller, Neuer, all of these guys were part of that treble winning team, the sextuple winning team, by the way. And they managed to do unbelievable stuff under Hansi Flick. And I'm gonna I'm in complete agreement with you. Alonso probably shouldn't touch that job with a 10-foot pole because Alonso has made a team that have, you know, come from, let's say, relative obscurity when it comes to challenging for a title race. Because if we're being honest, Leverkusen have always been, you know, knocking on the door for anywhere from sixth, sixth to maybe even second place um, at times. But in more recent history, it's usually been more around, you know, the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, even seventh place. So they've been relatively obscure in terms of title races. And Alonso has formed a title-winning team, in my opinion, out of that. I don't think Leverkusen are giving that title up, by the way. So unlike Dortmund at the end of last season, you think that they're going to have the... No. They, they're Dort- not going to slip up. They're not going to have a... No. a... Well, wow, you heard it here first. Well, put it this way. It's, it's a five-point gap between first and second. And as much as you say, even if... Bayern slip up. Bayern definitely have a slip up in them. It's not going to be Bayern are now going to all of a sudden miraculously start winning every game 6-0. That's not going to happen. Not with this team, not with this coach. Too much is going on behind the scenes at Bayern for that to happen. And so personally, for me, the season, the Bundesliga season is virtually decided. I know that's a little bit premature, but I just cannot see I cannot see Leverkusen slip up because they have such a formed, cohesive unit. Everyone working as one. They're they're really their star right uh, right winger in Jonas Hofmann. You know, has had a couple of bad games, a little bit uh, been carrying a couple of knocks as well, and Nathan Teller just slots in. Not a problem. They work as a cohesive, cohesive unit. Nathan Teller today in an interview said, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, whatever the manager puts out on the team sheet, it'll work. It doesn't matter. We all have, we're a team of 35 where everyone in that 35-man squad can produce. It doesn't matter. And that is massive for a title-winning team. And I think you, you don't need to look any further. Okay, so why aren't Bayern that cohesive title-winning unit? Is it a Tottenham Trophy curse that has been brought to your <laughs> to your door by the likes of Harry Kane and Eric Dyer? You, you can take the men out of Tottenham, but you can't take Tottenham out of the men. <laughs> if uh, I was I... Kingsley Coman, I'd be slightly apprehensive right now because he's won a league title every single season of his professional career. Harry Kane has never won a title in his professional career. One of those is ending this season. Now, I said that a few weeks ago before it was a five-point gap. I'm now starting to lean towards Kingsley Coman's being the one that's going to end. I mean, remember, we we talked about this as well, and I said, Leverkusen are ready, and I said this, you know, after right after Christmas. Leverkusen are probably going to win the Bundesliga. And that was before the five-point gap. And then I said, but Bayern are going for the Champions League. 
the way Bayern are playing right now, I'm seeing another you know quarterfinal exit. So it could we could very well be seeing a trophyless season for the first time in 12 years at Bayern. And I think at Bayern, with the board that they have, that is probably a sacking offence. We said this again a couple of episodes ago. If it was a trophyless season for Thomas Tuchel, he probably wouldn't last the summer. Now, player unrest quickly before we move on to Mainz. Is there any murmurings or any reports in Germany of sort of players turning on the manager, Thomas Tuchel losing the dressing room at all? Well, I mean, there's always been, you know, a little bit of like a couple of rumors. Funnily enough, I was at work today and we got a video from one of our guys who was at the Bayern training ground ahead of their clash with Lazio home tomorrow in the Champions League. And on tape, Müller was caught joking to Joshua Kimmich. Well, for that, we both have to be standing on the pitch. So, and Kimmich inexplicably as you've already pointed out didn't play against uh, Leverkusen at least in the starting 11 Müller didn't either and you know Müller's already been kind of Tuchel's almost trying to phase him out you get the sense at least and for me Bayern just and judging by the performance against Leverkusen they just don't have a leader on the pitch the leaders who are supposed to be there one Thomas Müller he's not getting played if you if you look at the teams that are being put out and you look at you know Jamal Muziala's meteoric rise, which you can almost say, you know, he's kind of taking the center attacking mid position from Müller, they still managed to put Müller in the team multiple times, and it didn't matter if it was Hansi Flick or if it was Julian Nagelsmann, whoever. They always managed to find a place for Müller. And I think one thing that Thomas Suha is definitely underestimating is how much pull and how much power players, especially players who have a resume to show, and how much he's definitely underestimated how much power these players have at Bayern. It's not like any other club. Because those players who have won something, they have a way bigger voice. And it's not the same principle that, for instance, Sir Alex Ferguson always preaches, you know, even if I had uh, the the best players in England, I would sit them down and I would kick them out the club. No one's bigger than the club. It's it's not the same thing. And so I think, you know, if Tuchel wants to keep his job, he's going to have to start figuring out fast how to get this team with its leaders back on track. Well, we know his habit of falling out with boards at previous clubs. So let's leave Bayern and Bayer Leverkusen for now. And let's finish this week's episode by talking about a club we don't really talk about much on this show. Let's talk about Mainz, currently 17th in the league. They've won one game all season. They've drawn nine and they've lost 11. Yesterday, Monday, they sacked Jan Sievert as their manager. He was brought in only in December on a permanent after the being the interim manager following Bo Svensson's departure. He was quite a, a highly rated manager during his time at Mainz for the whole. I was about to say, and he was, you know, he's also, he came from Mainz's uh, reserves. So he's, he's, he's been with the club for a while. It's not like he's, you know, just been brought in in December from, you know, outside sources almost. It's, you know, he's actually been with the club. So that's, I mean, for me, it was a, 
Well, I don't I don't know how you felt when you said when you saw this, but I definitely didn't see Mines sacking a manager after they've already gone through a managerial change this season, and especially one that was that young, so to speak. Yeah, it wasn't a, a fantastically long tenure for Jan Suvert. But I think the current state they're in, they needed a reaction which they haven't got. Yeah. They brought in Bo Henriksen, another Bo in the dugout. Oh, you got at Mites. You, you knew the media was just gonna have a field day with Bo reloaded. Oh, <laughs> yes, please. So Bo Henriksen, formerly of FC Zurich and Micheland, signed a contract until 2024 with FC Zurich, who at the time were the defending Swiss champions. But they found themselves bottom of the league after 10 games when he joined with only four points. He then transformed them from being bottom of the league with only four points in 10 games to being one of the Swiss teams with the most points. And some big results include a win over Bodo Glimt, who have beaten Arsenal in the past, and also a draw against Arsenal. So he's a coach with some pedigree, some history, let's say, of taking a team from the bottom and keeping them up. But I'd argue that doing it with FC Zurich, the defending champions of the Swiss League, is a completely different kettle of fish to doing it to Mainz, who are now currently on manager number three of the season. Well, I, I think I've got a fire question right back at you uh, and you know, ask you, do you think that managers or that it's a good idea to look at outside hires outside the top five leagues just because a manager like Bo Hendrickson has performed well in, I don't want to say an inferior league, but at the end of the day, what are you going to call it? A, a, a league outside the top five. Do you think it's wise to look outside the top five European leagues? Because more often than not, it's been known to go wrong. More often than not, it's been known to go wrong. You're right. But also, I think Mainz are very much in a situation of beggars can't be choosers. They chose to sack Jan Siva and appoint a replacement the next day. So they already had this lined up. Yeah, yeah. Before they, over Christmas. Before they sacked Jan Siva. They had that in place. And if you were a manager from the top five leagues, would you take that job at Mainz? Well, it depends on what pedigree I've got and what, what I've had so far. Because at the end of the day, Mainz have been in the Bundesliga for God knows how long. You know, it's it's not like they've been... They're not like one of those yo-yo clubs, for instance. They've been proven to stay in the Bundesliga for a, for quite a while. So, I don't know. I think I think it could still be a job that some guys might go for. It's not obviously not as glamorous as something like Bayer Leverkusen or any of the top clubs for that matter, but still. Well, I'd say in, within the top five leagues, there are enough managers or should be enough managers who would definitely jump at it at the chance to manage a Bundesliga club, no matter the state they're in. This is true. This is very true. I mean, Bo Henriksen's going to be thrown in. Well, pretty much at the deep end, they've got Augsburg in his first game. Then they're away at Leverkusen, at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach, and then away at the Allianz to face Bayern Oof. in his first four matches. So he's got some difficult fixtures to try and start. Again, we spoke about implementing a different style 
this will be the third different manager that these Mike's players have had. You'd expect it to be a third different style. It's on those players now probably to adapt because you can't see them sacking a third manager in a season because, well, surely they can't. Well, I was about to say, I mean, if you look at the the record that Jan Zivat had, he was appointed on the 22nd of December, 2023. That's like literally before, I mean, obviously he had, he had been uh, interim manager f- from the start of November. So he was interim manager from the third of, uh, of November and performed for, you know, a month and a half. And then he got the permanent job. But that for me is probably going to show more that Mainz have some problems of their own in the boardroom because you know like you said they had that manager lined up so that he could be appointed the next day how long do you have or would they have had to be looking and when did they probably say you know we should have someone in our back pocket just in case which obviously shows that they didn't have full faith in Jan Zivat Officially, he was appointed as full manager and not just interim manager end of December, mid-December, end of December. So they couldn't have gone and say, okay, we're going to appoint this guy and then we're going to have his replacement in our back pocket two weeks later. So five and a half, six weeks. It can't. that's, That's crazy. I don't know. If if you were a Mainz fan right now, wouldn't you be thinking the same thing? Be like, hang on. Why did you guys appoint him in the first place? Again, it may have been down to a lack of options or he he did do okay as interim manager. But I've had things in my fridge longer than he was permanent manager of Mainz. It's not a great look for Mainz at the minute. But like you said, they definitely have to change something because sitting in 17th mid-February, probably not the easiest of positions that you could be in as a Bundesliga side just before we finish up Mainz candidate for you to be dropped directly to the second Bundesliga yes or no I'm gonna go out on a limb I'm gonna say yes so you're saying they'll probably be on either 17th or 18th on a permanent way down I say permanent but like a non-relegation zone place straight down to the second Bundesliga I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say it's going to be Darmstadt and it's going to be Mainz. And Ooh, uh, you heard it here first, guys. The the teams I would love to see come up. Sao Pauli, 100%. Would love to see Sao Pauli in the Bundesliga. And the romantic in me, I would like to see Hamburg back. You never know. But I think on that note, we will leave it for this week. Of course, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But as always, thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.